Welcome to the Focus Church Teachings Podcast. We hope this brings a lot of encouragement to you, but we also want you to know that we believe discipleship doesn't occur here, but occurs in small groups where people share their gifts with each other in many-to-many discipleship. If you want to know more about that, stick around after the teaching. So we've been in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and I just want to, um, we're just going to talk, I mean, we've been in Colossians, and today we're just going to talk about these four verses. Um, and just to kind of drive home a point that he's been making leading up to, it's going to be the linchpin for all the applications he's going to give us in the rest of Colossians. So we'll just hit this briefly tonight. It'll be a great reminder for why we take communion and what the relevance of it is. And this is what it says in Colossians 3. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's a lot of words there, and a lot of big ideas, for sure. And just kind of a lot to kind of think through. But he says some really strong things. But just to remind you and tie it back to what we talked about last week, just a little bit. Remember last week, he said, since you died with Christ. He said last week, since you died with Christ, why then do you still submit to the rules of the world? Do not taste, do not touch. Remember, that's what we talked about last week was the problem of asceticism. And so last week he said, since you died with Christ. This week, and again, Paul wasn't doing this in weeks or even in chapters, so for him this is just a flow of the same thought. He says, since you've been raised with Christ. So he's talking about something about the gospel, something about Jesus' death on the cross leads to this idea that we also, as we identify by faith with what he did on the cross, as we accept that it is for us, then it becomes this transaction where somehow it, it, Paul says that we died with Christ and we're raised with Christ. That in the same way he died on the cross, so did we. And in the same way he came back to life, so did we. And that's a big statement. That's a huge kind of thing to say. And we're going to talk more about that as we go forward in Colossians, but just, just to begin to start with, just what is that about? So remember, when he said, since you died with Christ, he said, stop living as if your flesh is you. That's what he said last week when we talked about it. You died with Christ, stop acting as if by either denying yourself things in the flesh or by embracing things in the flesh, that this somehow is where your life is at, that this is what makes you you. He says, stop living that way. That's not who you are anymore. You no longer have to live as as if that's all you've got. As if what you see is what you are, what you feel is what you are, what you desire is what you are, what you do is what you are. These things are very superficial, he says. So don't, don't live that way anymore. That's what we talked about last week. And now, he says, since you've been raised with Christ, everything changes. He says, not only did you die with Christ, and that changes where your life is at, and you don't need to look at it as if it's your flesh, then, he says, really everything changes. Because now you're, you do have new life, but what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that flow? And so specifically, it brings up a couple of things. He says this. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. So the first thing that he says has changed is your priorities. Now, here's the interesting thing. The term hearts throughout Scripture, it kind of means the essence of who you are, the core of who you are. At a minimum, it means the the center of your, your motivations, everything that you're about, everything you value. Jesus says at one point, says where your where your heart is, that's where your treasure where, that's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Whatever you value, that's what your heart is set on. And so he says you've been raised with Christ, so now you have a whole new set of priorities. You're not like 
you were before. Your life has changed. Recognizing you've been raised with Christ, says Paul, should mean that everything you value, everything you treasure most, everything you prioritize most should be different. We've been talking about having making this year of eternal things. And this is one of the things that, that Paul says is when you embrace the gospel, it changes what's most important to you. Now, we can recognize that, live according to that, or not. But the reality is the things that are most important to us, the most valuable to us, are now spiritual things. You know, when he says set your hearts on things above, I think it, it, it's, it maybe it's an obvious thing, but I think it is important to say in, the, in Christianity, heaven isn't really, we don't really think of heaven as necessarily above and thus below. First of all, those words are kind of meaningless when you consider space. <laughs> but I think the other idea is it just it's talking about sort of a spiritual dimension and a physical dimension. <coughs> and it's not really clear. I mean, it's possible, I suppose, if we traveled far enough out in the galaxy, maybe we'd find this thing called heaven. I more sus- suspect it has to do with a, a whole different plane, a whole different dimension. And he says, set your heart on things above. I don't think he means things above. I think he means things deeper. I think he means things eternal, things spiritual, things that are are in this, you know, you've been raised to a new life. You're no longer just the flesh. You're no longer just an amalgamation of what you desire and what you do. So your mind, your heart, should be set on those things. So he says your whole, your whole priorities should change. Now you may ask yourself, have my priorities changed? What does that look like? And this isn't a, a condemnatory thing. It doesn't say that if your priorities haven't immediately changed, you don't know the Lord. It may just be, you know, but it's saying that you need to wrestle with that. Because I think the truth is, that, that Christians do have, and even non-Christians, it says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. We know there's more to this than this. But as Christians, we can set our hearts on that. We can count on it. We can really prioritize for that, because we have enough information to sort of be able to rely on that. So he says the things you treasure, they're all eternal now. They're, they're, they're eternal versus temporal. They're spiritual versus just physical. So set your hearts on those things. Begin to value those things. Make your treasure about those things that last forever. Because everything else will go away. Everything else will decay and rust and, and, and be destroyed over time. But he goes on, and then he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So he goes on, and he says, not only your hearts and your priorities, but what do you focus on, right? What do you dwell on? And this is true, too. The thing you treasure is the thing you spend all your time thinking about. And I think oftentimes the thing you think about is the thing you end up treasuring the most. So where is your mind? What are you thinking about? Are you, are you really focused on your life as if it's all in the flesh and all right here? Or are you focused on the things of eternity? Are you focused on spiritual things? So he says, set your hearts on things above. And then he says, set your minds. What do you dwell on? What do you think about? What do you spend time kind of in? And then he says this really interesting thing. He says, for you died and your life. So again, here's this idea. We died, but we have a life, right? We've died, but we've been brought back to life. He says, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So another thing he says is that our hopes have changed. Before, we may have had hopes and visions of success, which were defined by how far we could get in this world. It may be by the legacy we could leave behind us when we left. But in one way or another, all our hopes kind of have to end at when we die. And this is why there's such a feeling of meaninglessness. Even in Ecclesiastes, the, the, the teacher says the thing that makes life feel meaningless is that no matter how hard you work and no matter what you accomplish, at some point you die. And that's sort of the end of the hopes if you, in fact, are only your flesh. If you, in fact, are only things of the temporal life. But if you have died and been risen with Christ, he says that now we have this hope 
He says that when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. If you think back a few weeks, we talked about Christ and this is the hope of glory. Things will be made right. We have hope for redemption, for justice, for, for the happy ending. We have hope for the fairy tale being true. And this is a hope, this is a confidence that we can have because of Christ. So he says the fact that you've been raised to life, it's not just this theological weirdness. It is huge, we're going to talk more about it. But just, he says, if you, the more you understand it, the more you'll recognize nuts and bolts are. This should change your priorities. It should change what you spend your time thinking about. It should change the way you live, according to what he said last week. And it should change your hopes for the future. And the bottom line is this, and this is what is the most amazing thing, the verse that I kind of ran over pretty fast. He says, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I think there's something really amazing about that idea of our life being hidden. I think what's amazing about it is that we kind of all know that's true. There's a degree to which life goes forward, and sometimes we can lose track of it. Right? We're just like, I thought my life was going to go this way, and it went that way. And, and I think there is a crisis that almost every human being goes through at some point where they say, what really is my life about? How do I find it? And so we look to all sorts of places to find our life, and Paul acknowledges your life is hidden. Even as Christians, you know, maybe you think, hey, I've been saved, so I've died, and I've been resurrected to life, so it should all be obvious to me now. Well, it's, it's still hidden. The only difference between our life being hidden and anybody else struggling to find their life is we're told where it's hidden. And that's the other thing he says changes. Your actual life changes. I, I want to tell you a little story just to drive home this point before we do communion tonight. Kind of help you what it means, help you maybe understand what it means that your life is hidden in Christ and how we should respond to that. Some of you have heard this story probably from me before. This is a, a street light. So, uh, you know, I was walking home one day and uh, there was a woman and she was on her hands and knees in this pool of light, sort of like this. In this pool of light, in this street light, she was clearly looking for something that she lost. And so I went over and I just asked her what was going on and could I help. And she said she'd lost her wedding ring. And she was really distraught about it. She dropped it, it had uh, rolled off, and she's just looking for it. So she was searching in this little pool of light. So I also began to search in this little pool of light. So we, we searched around, we crawled around on our hands and knees for a while. I'm just not finding it anywhere. And I'm thinking, you know, it's a wedding ring, maybe it rolled away, right? So so I turned to her and I said, you know, is there any chance that it's not here in this life where we're looking? And she says to me, she says, oh, I'm sure it's not. That sort of surprised me a little bit. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I actually dropped it way over there. I said, well, why are we looking for it here? And she said, because the light's better over here. Okay, that didn't happen to me. That's a bad, bad joke. However, it's a bad joke that makes a really good point. We think about that, we think how ridiculous that she's looking where the light is better, because that's not where it is. But I think when it comes to our life, we make that mistake all the time. Jesus says, your life is in Christ, and we say, but Christ is hard to see sometimes. Sometimes I don't understand what that means. I don't know how to live that life. I don't know how to find that life. That takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of effort. But you know what? I think the light over here is better. I think finding life in wealth or security or friendships or relationships or or, or, or prestige, or power, or earthly success, we say those things, I can see how those could be like. The light is better there. And so we spend all our time looking for what we've lost in where the light is better, but the problem is, the light isn't there. And so when we look and look and look, and then we're frustrated that we can't find it, we get mad at God, and God says, I told you exactly where to find one. Bottom line is, if you want to find life, it's hidden in Christ. So where should you look? In Christ. 
And you say, but I don't even know what it means to look in Christ. How do I even know what it means to look for Christ? How do I know what it even means to pursue Christ? How do I know that? Paul says, well, I'll give you a hint. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Start to look for your life where it is, even if it's harder to find there. Because it's the only place you even have a chance to find it. He does go on. He will go on. We will talk more about this. But I think this is such an important bottom line. And then we think about what we're about to do tonight with communion. And communion is this interesting thing where Jesus says to his apostles, when you drink this wine, take this, drink it, think of me. Think of my blood which was shed for you. Take this bread, eat it, think of me, think of my body which is broken for you. And that's weird enough for us, but it's especially weird to the apostles to whom he was speaking, because they were strictly forbidden from drinking blood of anything. They were supposed to be very careful. In fact, you know, raw Steak was not on their uh, approved dietary list. No steak tartar. No steak tartar. They were not supposed to eat anything with its blood still in it. And the Levitical law says why. It says the reason you should not eat anything with its life's blood still in it is because the life is in the blood. (laughs) And so Jesus says to them, but I do want you to take my blood. Again, it's a metaphor. I don't, we don't believe personally that the wine or the grape turns into the actual blood of Christ. But it does reflect for us that Jesus wants us to take his life into us. That he gave it up not just as a, as a show or as a, not just as a, a, a payment, although I think that's a fair way to describe it for the penalty, but also because he needs us to take his life into us because we have no life. We need spiritual indwelling. From the very beginning, it says that God made man from the dust of the ground and then breathed into him the breath of life. And we squandered that breath of life with sin. And now Jesus returns it to us by his death. So, as you take communion tonight, it's a, it's a start. It's an attempt to begin to look not just where the light's better, but where life is. And even the fact that communion itself is a bit of a mystery and leaves us in a bit of awe, is a good thing. Sometimes evangelical culture has a habit of removing all the awe from Christianity by removing all the mystery, by pretending that we've got all the nuts and bolts and formulas nailed down and we know exactly what everything means. I can't explain to you exactly why Jesus decided that wine and unleavened bread should reflect his body and life in us. But there's a mystery to it, there's an awe to it. And if we're going to find our life in Christ, we need to be open to that mystery. And we need to be open to that awe. And we need to recognize that our life is indeed hidden. And it's not just what you see in front of you, but it's something much deeper. So without giving you all the answers that I clearly don't have, that's what I'd like you to think about tonight as we take communion. Most churches believe in the value of small groups and a focused church. We are so convinced that's where the discipleship happens that we put all of our resources, our training, and our assessment into the focus groups. And we believe that you can be part of a focus group from anywhere in the country. So if you'd like to join us, just email me at pastormac, M-A-C, underscore at mac.com. And I'd love to tell you how you can be part of it. Either way, I hope this has been encouragement to you, and we'll see you here again next week.